Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So glad to see each one of you here. We've got a, a special morning plan for you, and so we're so glad that you're here as we gather to worship. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're so glad you're with us as well. In a few minutes, our children are going to be joining us. And so this morning is just a celebration of God with us, Emmanuel. And so I invite you to enter in and join in. When you see lyrics on the screen, enter in and worship. And uh, let's worship our God who is with us each. And in fact, each one of us brought him in here this morning because he lives inside of us. And he said, we're two or three are gathered. He's in our midst. So he's here and we're here to worship him as the true God, as our Lord and our Savior. Well, I invite you to stand and let's begin with some classic Christmas carols. Angels we have heard on high. Angels from the realms of glory. One, two, three, four. Sing it out Angels, we have Thank you. 
singing. Next year you have to be in the choir. I almost heard you singing. Let me pray and just pause this moment. God, I thank you. You are amazing. And in the rush of the holidays and the present buying and the house cleaning and the decorating and all of these things, we want to pause and reflect on your glory, your power and your presence. And the gift of your presence that you brought to us as we'll study this morning. As we hear from your word in a moment. And as we respond to that in worship. Holy Spirit, we pray you prepare our hearts to, to really relish this time. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Dave, Robin. In the fullness of time, God gave Emmanuel. Before the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and will, she will call his name Emmanuel, Isaiah seven fourteen. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call him his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates means 
God, God with, with us. Matthew 1, 18 to 
continue our worship. We worship because on Christmas Day, Jesus came and there was joy to the world. So let's stand together and worship our God, the song we've been singing all month. Here we go. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Good. Mm-hmm. 
the anointed one that God sent. You are Alpha and Omega. You were before time was even existed and you are the end of everything. You are our God. You are our Savior. And we stand here in your presence this morning in awe of your goodness. We've sung lots of words that talk about how joy came to the world because you were born. And that we, as men and women, we, you make us mighty. And we can stand in your presence, clothed in your righteousness, knowing that you are our God. And that you give us victory for sin, death, and the grave. And so we worship you. For you are sitting on your throne this morning, alive and well, in charge of everything. And you are holy, holy, holy. And you are worthy of all of our praise. Let's sing holy, holy, holy again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. to God's good, isn't He? We're super excited to be able to just celebrate this season and the gift that God has given to us. I love the kids, especially one of the comments that the kids made as they made as they walked off the stage. That was fun. We sing and we worship Emmanuel. We know the phrase means God is with us. But what does that really mean? Have you thought about that? God is with us. How do you experience the presence of God? If God is with us, and He is, but, but the question is, how do you experience the presence of God? What does that really mean 
God with us? There's, there's a lot of questions and tensions that are loaded into that phrase, God with us. Is God with me when I'm good? Is God with me when I'm bad? Is God with me when I'm sick? Is God with me when I'm destitute? We hear often people cry out when times of misery and distress, God, where are you? Because the emotion of the distress and the illness and these maybe grief can be so overwhelming. And then I got to thinking about that God is with us. Those that would not perceive God, not perceive the presence of God. The unbeliever that doesn't know the presence of God, that doesn't even know that God is with them. How do they navigate life? How do they view God or the presence or the absence of God? Sometimes, most of the times, people in those times of distress will view God as uncaring. I don't necessarily believe that there is a God, but if there is a God, where is he right now? Where is he right now? God, why didn't you fix this? Why didn't you heal this? God, why didn't you do something? I don't necessarily believe that there is a God, but if there is a God, why didn't you show up? We often hear that when people are in conflict or grieving. Others don't even give God a second thought in their times of distress. They just try to white-knuckle it all the way through. I can tell you this, not necessarily feeling the presence of God in times of crisis is not uncommon both in the believer or the unbeliever. There are times in those situations in our life where we feel that God is absent. We can think of a number of people, Job being one of them. But even the prophet Isaiah would, would think about this and, and with this, he cries out in Isaiah 64, 12, Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent in the affliction above, of, beyond measure? We look at this, these times of silence. C.S. Lewis, the Christian author, wrote this. A door slammed in my face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence would become. Have you ever felt like the door was shut, that God had shut the door on you and bolted it, and you were all by yourself? That feeling, God, where are you? Lewis confessed that it was a heavy silence in his life, that made him doubt. Okay. Door shut. Lock is bolted. No. It made him doubt the presence of God. What about Joseph? Did Joseph do anything wrong when his brother sold him into slavery? No. How about when he interpreted the dreams and he was in prison? Or when he was serving Potiphar and thrown into that prison? Sometimes the silence of God in his presence is deafening. 
And we wrestle with that. And our emotions will wreak havoc upon us. But are we going to be led by emotion or truth? We should be led by truth. Emotions will lie to you. Emotions will deceive you. And we can practice the presence of God because of the truth of God's Word, even though we don't feel like He is near. Why? Because God promises His presence in the Word. This morning, we're going to journey through Scriptures. And as we journey through these Scriptures, in the, presence of full, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. We're going to see from Genesis to Revelation how God desired to be present and desires to be present and to have fellowship with us. And this divine presence will carry us all the way through. I'm going to stand as, you, as we read two passages. The first will be in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Let's stand as we give respect to God's Word. And Isaiah 7, 14 says this. The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child and bear a son. And she will call His name what? Very good. And in Matthew one twenty three says this, as Matthew quotes this passage, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Amen. Which is translated, what? God. Amen. God, we pray as we journey through these passages, may we see the power of your presence and the promise of your presence and the faithfulness of your presence in all of these things. That, God, we would stand firm on the truth of your word, not based on emotions or deceptions of the world. Lord, we ask that you would teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. May you be seated. So we think about this idea, God with us. And it's really important that we understand this name, Emmanuel, God with us, because it didn't just start with Christmas. And it didn't just start with Isaiah. It actually started in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, says this. And then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in our image. And in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. In the beginning, God created man. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't kind of come out of some primordial ooze or anything like that. We were created in the image of God. Imago Dei, image of God. We were created body, soul, and spirit in the image of the triune God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God created. What did He create? He created man to be a higher being than any of, other, any of the other creations that were there. God created man, male and female. Two genders. Specifically designed to procreate and to have relationship with God. And with that, God created male and female, 
God is the one that gives the breath of life. Notice in Genesis 2-7. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust, which means we're all dirt clods, from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and made and man became a living being. He didn't do that with anything else. He absolutely didn't do that with the aardvark. We think about this idea that God created us in His image and He breathed life into that. We know that woman was created from man. And all of the things of that, and that was, that was there. And we're given some insight of that, that relationship as it began in the garden. We're not told a lot about what happened prior to the fall, prior to man falling into sin. The Bible wasn't necessarily given to us to tell us about what life was like pre-sin. The Bible was given to us because it's God's plan of redemption for man that had fallen. But prior to the fall, there was something that was going on between God and man relationally. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That tells us that God's presence was known in the garden walking. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called out to the man and said to them, Where are you? Now, there's a number of things that we can unpack, and this could be a sermon in itself, but the one thing that we've got to understand is by this time, Adam and Eve had disobeyed God in sin. They ate of the, the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden that God said, don't eat. And they were deceived and they ate. And there was a noticeable, a palpable separation between holy God and now sinful man. We're given this idea that God is walking in the garden. It's an, what's called an anthropomorphic condition. God is spirit. God is not flesh and blood. God is spirit. But we use human terms, this anthropomorphist, to be able to describe God. Walking means having fellowship. So God is in the garden, ready to have fellowship. Perhaps they have an evening walk or whatever the case may be. But he says there's something missing. Where are you? And it's interesting. God says, where are you? But how many times do people in crisis say, God, where are you? God asked the question first. And it shows the separation. The you, interesting, in the original language, is second person singular. Where are you? Second person singular. Who is God looking for specifically? Adam. Where are you, Adam? Why? Because he was the one that was the caretaker and given the responsibility for the garden. Similar, when Cain killed Abel, God went to Cain and says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? Now question, is God dumb? Is God asking the question because he doesn't know? No, he's bringing to light the condition of separation that is going on with that. Adam's response was out of fear because he sinned. And now Adam's sin was exposed and he was disgraced. And the fellowship was broken, and he, and he was hiding within that. 
today, mankind is still in a sense of hiding those that are unregenerated unbelievers. They're hiding. They're hiding from God. Why? Because their sin has created a disgrace, the conviction of sin. And it separates them from the presence. God, I would imagine, is looking, saying, where are you, sinner? Because I want to have a relationship with you. So what did God do? Well, you screwed up. We're done. Did God give up on man? No. Why? Because God desires to be in relationship with man. And so from that time forward, God started establishing what was necessary for him to be able to have some kind of a relationship and some kind of a presence with him. Adam and Eve did cover themselves with fig leaves, Genesis 3, 7, which is not the smartest thing to do if you've ever seen fig leaves. Itchy, scratchy, nasty things. And, and so with this, they, they tried to hide themselves because they were aware of their nakedness or their exposure. God later, though, would provide the first covering, animal skin, which meant that an animal had to die. And so we know that God had covered them. God had ordained animal sacrifices in Exodus 29:36 and 32:30, Leviticus 4:30. God had ordained animal sacrifice to be a covering in the law under Leviticus 4:20 says, "He shall also do with the bull just as he did with the bull in the sin offering, and thus he shall do with it, so the priest shall make an atonement for them and they will be forgiven." What did God do from the time that Adam and Eve sinned forward? He was providing an atonement or a covering for that sin. Why? So that he can have some kind of a relationship with them. God initiates that relationship and he initiates the means of that relationship. And it's based on God's standard. The wages of sin is death. Something would have to die and says killing the people that you want to have fellowship is unproductive. I'm going to take away this, this life of this animal as a temporary covering. Why? Because God's got a plan. And so we see that, that God had provided this covering. He also provided the priesthood. Why? Because the priest would stand in between holy God and sinful man. God wants to have relationship with man, but man's a sinner, so I'm going to create a mediatorial service the priesthood, who will offer this sacrifice so that God can at least have some kind of relationship with him. It won't be like it was in the garden, but it will nevertheless be a relationship for a time. It was never meant to be permanent. Why? Because God had a plan. A plan to, to be with man. And so the priesthood and the sacrifice from the time of Adam and Eve's separation, would be a temporary covering. Now keep in mind, God intends to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a relationship with you. But the sacrifice and the priesthood, only temporary. To close that gap until such a time. We move forward to, though, the promise. In Isaiah 7.14, the prophet Isaiah is given a promise. As we read, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, you've got to understand the setting. The Syrians and the Epaphrodite, or, or those that were in the northern kingdom, had gotten together. Why? Because Tilgath-Pilesar, who was the king of Assyria, was coming down and he was getting ready to wipe out the whole northern area. He wanted to build this huge empire. So Ephraim, which represents the northern tribes, and Syria gotten together and said, look it, for us to fight against this Assyrian king, we need help. By this time, Israel was divided, ten tribes of the north, and they were the northern tribes, two tribes of the south. If, you with us, if you're with us on, on Wednesday nights, you remember we went through this. So Judah is in the south. So the tribes of the north in Syria said, we've got to fight against this, this king, but he's way too much for us. So they go to a king named Ahaz, and they say, look it, we need you to join forces with us so that we can fight against this invasion, this Assyrian invasion. He wants to create this empire. Ahaz was a, a bit hesitant within this. Do I go forward? Do I join with them or not? I'm scared. This Assyrian king is great. He's huge. He's mighty. I don't think we can do this. I need to figure something out. And Isaiah the prophet went to Ahaz and said, Look, it, God wants you to be calm. Settle down. And he gives him this prophecy. And he's, but first he goes to Ahaz and he says, Ahaz, ask whatever incredible sign you would like to know that I'm with you. Ask whatever you want. Ahaz says, no, I don't want to test the Lord. So what does he do? God says, okay, if you're not going to ask for an incredible sign, I'm going to give you an incredible sign. Now, there's much debate about this passage, about who is the virgin and who is this child Emmanuel and all of this. And I read all the commentary and I read all the, 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 the guys that have a lot of letters behind their name to try to figure it out. And I can tell you this, we don't know. So where the Bible's silent, we remain silent. But the most logical and probable, because of the way the, the word virgin is described, and there's only one immaculate conception, and that would be Mary, that this word virgin means an unmarried woman. As a sign, there would be in your household, hey, as, an unmarried woman that you'll come to find out that will have a child and give him this name, Emmanuel. It'll blow your mind. This will be the sign for you. And that's where this prophecy comes up within this. Ahaz ends up, as, as the story goes and the account goes in the text, Ahaz doesn't receive the sign. And he turns around and he fights against Ephraim and Syria and in order to get in good with Tilgath, and so he ends up becoming what was called a vassal Caesarean relationship. He would be the vassal, or he would be the servant, which would also usher in Judah becoming a servant for Babylon within this, because he blew past the sign. But we know that Isaiah warned him not to be faithless, trust in God, believe the sign, 
In Isaiah 41.10 it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be anxious. Look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Which brings us this tension. Is God with us? The answer is what? Absolutely yes. How do we know? Because the sign of Isaiah was fulfilled in Jesus. Ahaz blew it. He blew it because he didn't believe the word of God. He didn't believe what God said would be true. And whatever situation you find yourself and you say, well, I got this coming down. God, are you really with me? The answer is what? Yes. He was given this sign. Now, as I said, some would say, well, you know, maybe this is Hezekiah. Why? Because of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says this, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. And the seal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We often read this at Christmas time because we know this is a prophecy concerning Jesus. But it really did take place. Here's a hint. When you're looking at Old Testament prophecy, understand you're looking through a lens in the Old Testament to see the fulfillment in the future. It's a real event that happens to point us towards the real future within this. Hezekiah is a type, not of virgin birth, but Hezekiah is a type of a ruler, a righteous ruler that is within this. And the promise of the Davidic kingdom being fulfilled in Jesus. 2 Samuel 7.16 It says, In your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established. For how long? Forever. Okay. God created us to be with Him. We sin. And fallen short. And we're separated from God because of that sin. God provided sacrifice so that we could have some kind of a relationship with Him until what? Until His plan is fulfilled. The plan being revealed in Isaiah saying, look it, I am going to send to you a promise. I will be with you. Things are not always going to be like this where there's this gap. And in Jesus, God closes the gap. God's promise is fulfilled. In Emmanuel. In Matthew one twenty three, we read it. That, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Emmanuel was seeing the fulfillment of Isaiah in the birth of Jesus. God with us. The promise that was given to us all the way back in Genesis. And then the the prophecy of Isaiah that says God will be with us is now complete in Jesus, God with us. And as Isaiah describes a mighty God, eternal Father, wonderful Counselor, you ever think about how that unpacks the Trinity? All three persons of the Trinity, mighty God, eternal Father, wonderful Counselor, and Jesus being born. 
powerful. God with us. And these words that, that Isaiah says, the Lord will give a sign. He did. And here's the sign. This virgin, this young girl, Mary, betrothed to Joseph, not knowing any man, when the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would conceive within this. God incarnate to dwell among us. John the Apostle would write about this in John 1.14 and verse 18. And it says, And the Word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as of the only monogenous, the one of a kind, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in verse 18, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He explained Him. Jesus explains God. God with us. Within this. And he is our Savior. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You see how God had taken a horrible situation of sin and death. And provided the solution of that separation through his son Jesus. God with us. And Jesus would come and complete the punishment for our sin. John 19, verse 30 says, Therefore, when he had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Literally, tetelestai. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Why? Because at that point in time, the separation between God and man was removed. And if you remember something Significant happened in the temple. What happened in the temple? The veil in the temple was torn in two. From the bottom up. From the top down. As if God said, no more separation. Why? Because Jesus fully paid the price for the sins of mankind. Past, present, and future. For everyone. Does that mean that everybody is saved because of that? No. Everybody has the opportunity to be saved. Because the penalty has been paid. But the penalty was paid, but now there is this gift of life that you have to receive by faith. By putting your trust in Jesus who died for you. But you can stay outside of that because you don't believe that God is with you and you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Therefore, you stay in that sinful condition. There is only one solution, and that is Jesus. I got to thinking about this. This God with us. At that point in time, the God most high became the God most near. Walking in the midst of your life, in the cool of the day, not asking where are you, but having that relationship one-on-one. Why? Because that sin was paid for. Does God intend to be with us? Absolutely. How long? Forever. Well, how do we know that? If you have your Bibles, turn it over to Revelation chapter 1. If not, the verses will be up on the screen for you. Listen to what the Apostle John writes as he is 
declaring this vision that was given to him. He says this, And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with him. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head, head and hair were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, and it had been made to glow in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. His right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Verse 20, And as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. What does John see? John sees Jesus walking amongst the church today. That Jesus is here. And that He is here in all His glory. He is present. Chronologically, Revelation chapter 1 verse all the way to 3 is our time today. The seven churches representing the seven different kinds of, of churches and, and in ages and things. And it's a whole study in itself. But the, the point is this. Jesus is there among the church. His presence among us. Within that. We don't see Him, but He's here. He's present. And John is given this vision to affirm the presence of Jesus with the church, which gives us the confidence. We think about this. Is Jesus here during your times of distress? The answer is absolutely yes. The church would go through tribulation. If Revelation 1-3 through is true, and it is, then Jesus walks among the churches during their tribulation, because when you study the seven churches of Revelation, as we did when we went to Turkey, there were some churches that were just going through hell. But Jesus was there. The persecuted church. In Hebrews 13.5 it says this, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself says this, quote, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Can I stand firm on the truth that the presence of Jesus is with me when I'm going through hardships? The answer is yes. Why? Because Jesus declares it. He declares that He is present. God will never desert His people. He never leaves them alone. Even when they're disobedient? Yeah. Even when, because of disobedience, they're removed from their land and held in captivity? Yes. When you study the Old Testament, consider the faithfulness of God. Was Israel acting like a knucklehead? Yes. And they rejected God and they went into slavery and they worshipped idols and they did all the things that they shouldn't do. And God could have said, I'm done with you, but he didn't. And if God didn't abandon and desert Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned, and if God didn't abandon Israel when they committed sin after sin after sin of idolatry and rejection, and if God didn't abandon Israel when they crucified the Messiah, what makes you think God will abandon you? He won't. God is faithful. 
God is with us. How do we know that? Because God has been faithful in the past and His character doesn't change. Paul writes of this promise in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. To the Christians who were in Rome, who were under persecution, he says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written... For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. But in all these things, all what things? Everything in that list above. We are overwhelmingly conquerors through him being Jesus who loved us and is present with us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, including yourself, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, which is present with us. He is present. And God remains with us today. Within this. Will God be with us in the future? Yes. How do we know that? Jesus said so. As he told to the disciples when he was leaving the earth. And again, I'm sure they were a bit concerned. In John 14, 2-3, he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for whom? Yeah. You can put your name in that. And if I go to prepare a place for, insert your name, I will come again and receive, insert your name, to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Consider that. God doesn't abandon anybody that are His, His people, His children, God doesn't want to abandon mankind. It's mankind that has abandoned God. God is seeking to restore that relationship. You say, well, Carrie, that's good. So we got this promise in Genesis. God wanted us to be with Him. That's why He created us. God wanted us to have fellowship with Him until we screwed it up. God continued to work on on having a relationship with us in, the, in our fallen condition. That's why He gave sacrifice. And God gave sacrifice up until the perfect sacrifice would be sent, Jesus. Who then, from that point on, in His incarnation, would be with us. We well, say, Carrie, He left. Just to go prepare a place. But He didn't really leave because John tells us He's still here. Well, how can He be in heaven and on earth? He's God. It works. And He's not looking to come stay with us forever on this rock. He's looking to take us home. For how long? Ever. We don't have to find a way to God. God has provided the way through His Son. We don't have to figure it out because God sent His Son to bring us to Himself. 
We don't have to worry about getting lost along the way. Why? Because he left his Holy Spirit that is within us that will guide us. You mean I have the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Yep. How does he do that? He's God. He can do it. How long? Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard with a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, or literally the dwelling place of God, is among men. And He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. Genesis to Revelation. God created us to be with Him. And everything in between is God's plan, purpose, and process of bringing us back to Himself until point in time when we leave this fallen earth and these fallen and broken bodies and this place of sin, sorrow, and suffering and we are in His presence for how long? Forever. And we think about how Jesus would say, and I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Is God with us? Yes. Does God want to be with us? Yes. How do I experience the power and the presence of God? Through the Holy Spirit and trusting in Jesus. Emmanuel. Is God with us? Emmanuel is Jesus who has come to be with us. This is a free gift, though. The presence of God is a free gift. God does not force Himself upon anyone. You can enter into that relationship by receiving that free gift. By saying, God, I want to know Your presence. And in those times of distress, I want to know that You're here. And my emotions may run amok. And I may ask the question, in my time of distress or sorrow or grief, God, where are you? But then I can go to the word that you've given to me and find comfort to know Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you give to us the promise of the power of your presence, that you never abandon us, you never leave us, nor do you forsake us, that you're with us even unto the end of the age. Lord, I ask that even now, as we prepare to close this time, may Your words resonate in our heart. May we understand what Emmanuel really means. That You are here right now. Lord Jesus, You are among the church. And You are standing in our midst. May we worship You in this place. And may we realize that You have not abandoned us to this earth. But you're going to take us home. You haven't left us to try to figure it out on our own. You're going to walk with us. And you're going to lead us until we see you face to face. And because of that, we want to worship you even now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Set the edge of time.
we thank you that you didn't abandon us abandon us in death but that you came Lord Jesus to give us life you came to be with us because you love us how could we ever reject such a great love 
May we receive your presence. Walk with you all the days of our lives. And in those darkest times, may we hear your still small voice. I'm with you. And in those times of difficulty, may we draw great confidence because we hear that voice. I am with you. And I will not desert you. Lord, there's a lot of people in this world today that need to know that. We can't give what we don't have. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know the presence of God, invite them in. Say, Lord, will you come in? Take up residence in my heart. Forgive me of my sin because I put my trust in the finished work of Jesus who removed the separation between me and you. If you pray that prayer, be confident that the Holy Spirit will take up presence, live with you, and God will take you home. Father, I thank you for this time. As we go out this Christmas season, may we give the greatest gift of all. May we give Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Merry Christmas. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.